Hi, my name is Ali Vignon, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Niskanen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, training camp week! Training camp week! Training camp, Philadelphia Flyers, three days down, Thursday off, and we're ramping it up. And I know that I, I put out, Anthony, I don't even know if you heard it. I mean, I'm sure you're subscribed to the podcast, so you saw it pop up. But I put out the little note yesterday that for those who don't follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at SnowTheGoalie, and on Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie, they might have missed that we've been down at Voorhees covering Flyers training camp. We have. And it's it's interesting because we're one of very few outlets to have gotten access to training camp. If Unless I'm incorrect, and you can feel free to correct me, we are the only non-legacy media outlet or the athletic who are more or less treated as if they're a legacy media outlet. So... Yeah, I mean, we're, when you think about it, there are only um, three online-only uh, outlets down there. One is NBC Sports Philadelphia, which is the rights holder for Flyers yeah. hockey, right? So that's a given. They, they could be any kind of media. They're going to be there regardless. The second is The Athletic, Charlie O'Connor. And the third is us. Everyone else is a legacy media. So – it's really, you know, it, it's it's a testament, Russ, to the work that you and I have been doing. Pat ourselves on the back, but we are considered, <laughs> we are considered to be, you know, among the the regulars and and the people that, you know, provide the best coverage of the team, and the team will, uh, you know, do what they can to to help us continue to do that. And part of the way of doing that is, you know, giving giving us the access during a pandemic that most you know, of the online folks don't really have. And it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there, there are a few different layers to this. We'll get into it here in a second. But I just think that the the idea of being down and obviously we don't have locker room access right now. The NHL has said that for the rest of the year, uh, you know, obviously, uh, unless things change, there's going to be no locker room access. So that you mean that no part scrum things, workers. Yeah, no scrum lurkers right now. <sighs> the only scrum lurking that we could do is over the uh, the, the Cisco WebEx uh <laughs> video call that we do Travis at the end, gonna be see so disappointed that, so. he's gonna be so sad i don't know who he's gonna talk to um but you know it, it is interesting because i i've i certainly have enjoyed taking this opportunity to to get to experience training camp i don't think i went down at all the last two years for training camp i think the I only think time that i the one time when one we did time, a we did a we did ron a hex wasn't it the ron hextall uh because it was, I think that was before the season. It was the Ron Hextall interview. Might have been. We were, I could do, be wrong. we were we were doing a snow the goalie interview. It wasn't like a real take part in training camp kind of day for you. And so it's been really neat. It was. It's cool just to give people an idea. And I'm sure that that a lot of people who are listening to the show have have seen this before with training camp. But they're operating on two rinks. And what we saw early in the week is that Elaine Vigneault and his coaching staff had kind of mixed up uh, players that we expected to make the roster versus some that they wanted to give a look to. Today was really, and we're recording this on Wednesday, today was the first day that I think we really started to get a look at what the team is going to look like a week from today when the Flyers open their season against the, the Penguins. And there are some pretty interesting roster decisions that look like have been made. There were some interesting combinations that were rolled out today, but I, I want to make sure that you and I are kind of comparing what 
what we've seen throughout this week to get an idea of if this was an anomaly today versus what we have had seen to this point. Um, I didn't even give you a proper introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me this evening is a member. Can we say this now? I think we can say, it. Are, are we, are we clear that? now? Are we kosher? The thing, the thing, the thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. whatever. A member of the professional Hockey Writers Association, it's Anthony exciting. Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter and Instagram Wait, at Ant Sanfilly. Russ, Russ, aren't you a member of the Professional Hockey Writers Association too? Um, I, oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Does this mean we get to vote for the end of the year awards? I, we, it does. Be Anthony. still my heart. Wait a second. Hold up. Is this is this breaking news? For the first time in the history of Snow the Goalie, the Only Flyers podcast, the People's podcast, the Players podcast, the Prognosticators podcast, the Presidential podcast, the Pedialyte podcast, the Pampers podcast, the Pronger cast, the Knubel cast. Lick at us. I think I said lick at us, but I meant look at us. Look at us, Anthony. Yeah. Two members of the PHWA. What a strange life we are leading. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I should note for the record that I was a member of the PHWA for 12 years, uh, and then I had Stop. to, I had Why to give can't up. We just share this I, I moment to, together. Well, no, but I'm going to explain. And... I'm explaining something. I had to give Nobody... up my, I had to give up my membership when I went to work for the team because I was an employee of the team, and after my uh, time with the Flyers was over. And I went, came back to uh, cover the team for Crossing Broad. Initially, they weren't allowing uh, non-traditional media to be members of the PHWA. And personally, I didn't really care um, because the only the only real perk is you get to vote for you know the Hart Trophy and uh, Nars Trophy and uh, you know uh, uh, Lady Bing and the Selkie. Um, and the NHL All-Stars. So that that's really the only perk. Um, I mean, there's a couple other small things, but, you know, fans don't care about that stuff. So it really didn't matter to me. I was like, oh, I, I, I've done this. I've been there, done that. I don't need to be the guy voting. Um, but this year they decided to offer it to us. And, you know, we, I, you know I was thinking of you, Russ, and we gladly, I gladly accepted when they offered it to me. Think of me. I was think thinking of, of you. Fondly Look at you singing Phantom of the Opera. The fact that you know that is like is that? crazy. Yeah, you're singing little Christ, little Christine from Family so. the Opera. Excuse me, I know. Excuse me. Yeah, Excuse it's me. by the way. I had a crush. Funny. I had a crush on that actress when Get the movie out. the movie version came out. Oh, absolutely. I think she kind of looks like my wife a little bit. Maybe that was like that was telling me of something to come in the future. I, I don't know. Maybe that was it. anyway. But so, so I should point look at out. Us. I should point yeah, out what. Um, you know, thinking of you, I knew you'd be excited about it. And you know, this is something new for you. And um, in your third year now covering the team, officially covering the team, uh, to be allowed to be put into the PHWA. And I actually went, I actually did a, uh, I was a guest on another podcast um, this week uh, for uh, uh, part of Barstool, um, the uh, Upper Bowl podcast. I think you've talked to the, the, the guy who runs that, Trevor. I, I know he's communicated with you a few times. Okay. Um, and, you know, he did like some rapid fire questions at the end of the interview. And he said, tell me the funniest story about Russ on press row. Oh, no. 
And I was, so I was, I can't help but think, you know, as excitable as you are, that your first game on press row when you cheered when the Flyers scored. <laughs> I so, so I told I told that story. Okay. I also, I also, all, talk, I also that, talked that about all slightly, your... That's slightly misleading, but okay. I also talked about all the, the snacks you eat while you're up there. All right. Well, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that I've been reduced to both of those things. First of all, you can't blame me for the first game for being... Listen, it's also fair to point out that while like... I didn't fully cheer. I got excited. I was an excitable young person, right? There are people on press row and you know exactly who I'm talking about. Who's in our very near vicinity. Yep. That when the flyers give up a bad goal, he nearly like he, I've almost watched him split his laptop open every <laughs> bad goal. And you know what I'm talking about? He hits the top yep. and it hits the little sheet of the little yep. plexiglass or whatever. And I'm always worried it's going to shatter and we're going to have a computer go down and hit somebody on the head. And I'm going to have to make an excuse for that person. Anyway, I don't even know how we got here. We are, I don't know how many minutes into the show now, and we haven't even gotten to the biggest story of the week. Which is- I was trying to come up with a really bad one. I don't really have one. But a few things that, that turned our heads, I think, initially. One, let's get one thing out of the way. Sam Moran, who is a darling of, I think, the Philly media, and for fans who have heard him speak before, he is a guy that I think everyone in the media and in the organization roots for. He's a guy who has had a, a terrible string of luck or mm-hmm. bad luck when it comes to injuries, derailing his career. He was originally drafted to be kind of like that Chris Pronger archetype, right? And he's just had knee, af- knee injury after knee injury. And rather than, I guess, the, the path of most resistance – the calculation was made at some point in the last couple of months that while he was working out in the area, he and Elaine Vigneault come together. Ian LaPerriere is in on the conversation. And the, the idea is floated to have six foot seven Sam Moran play left wing. I want to get your initial thoughts because I think we're going to agree on a lot of this, but when, I don't remember. We, I don't know if you were on the call when that one came out, but there was a collective. And the weird thing is, you can't actually hear anybody else, but you could feel it in the uh, on the on the call. <laughs> Unless you're there, if yeah. you're in, if oh, you're if you're there, you can hear everybody. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my initial reaction was, "There's no way in hell this will work." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I give the Flyers a lot of credit for trying to find something for for Sam. Because he's had so much bad luck and because he could have given this up long ago. And here's a guy who three times now has come back from major reconstructive knee surgery. Three times. And the last one last year, he could have just said, that's it. I'm like, you know, I did this twice before. I'm not doing it again. He's come back again. So three times this kid's done this. He's a very delightful guy. Very well liked. The, his teammates like him. The coaches like him. Um, obviously, the organization likes him. And so they, the depth on defense that the team has right now is is really good as far as young players that are that are on their way. So Sam Moran is way down the list as a defenseman. So to give him a chance, and it's a long shot chance, but to give him a chance to salvage his hockey career, they came up with this 
notion that maybe he could be a bruising forward. Fourth line, take 30-second shifts, come on, hit a few people, be a you know imposing physical presence. I mean, Vigneault came out and said, hey, the team was pushed around during the playoffs last year by both Montreal and the Islanders. Didn't really have anybody to, to kind of match that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you look at Sam Moran as, as a guy, you know, if he works hard at this over the course of the next few months, that maybe by April you can you can give him a shot at the NHL level, get him into a handful of games and see if it's worthwhile. So I give the Flyers credit for that. But this is this is I don't see how this ever really becomes a, a permanent thing or a thing that will be successful for for Sam. And and they've called out <laughs> they brought out all the big names. Uh, they even have Danny Briere working with him on skating. Mm-hmm. And I call I got in touch with Danny uh, yesterday to ask him about it. Who, by the way, we had on the podcast this past summer. If you haven't listened to the episode, yeah. if you're new to the program, go back in the archives. Wonderful, wonderful yeah. interview over yeah. the summer with Danny Briere. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it was it was um, it was good. Uh, and 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 you know, Danny said, you know, first thing that he wants to do is he just wants to share ideas about skating with with Sam. And, you know, one of the things that he said to Sam is with as big as you are, people notice you. So if you stop moving your feet, they're going to see that you're not skating. And there's a big difference, you know, on defense, sometimes you can just glide backwards. You're skating backwards and you can kind of glide a little bit as a forward. There's not much gliding. You have to constantly be, you know, the motor has to keep going. So Danny said, you know, that's one of the things that he wants to really impress upon him and he said, look, he's got, he's got tools. He's, he can skate for his size. His size is, is a very important thing. I mean, he's got a real long reach, a real long stick. Um, he's gritty, which they need. Um, you know, all of those things are above average skill sets for Sam Moran. The question that Danny said is, how do you maximize that for him to be effective? You know, and that's what they're trying to figure out right now. But Briere added, he deserves all the credit for his attitude and his willingness to try and make this work. So everyone loves the kid. We all want to see it work. We all want to see him play an NHL game, at least one at left wing to say it was worth all the time and effort. I'm just not sure that it'll happen. So the interesting note, I think in all of this is maybe the thing that helps him in this scenario is this weird season that we're setting up for with taxi squads where he is a competent enough defenseman that if you needed him in a pinch, if something were to go wrong, if there were an injury, if God forbid there were a COVID outbreak and you needed a defenseman, you have one. He's a big body. He's not going to cost you a game. He can play well enough in his zone for a game or two. The idea of him playing at left wing to me is like the old John Chaney bringing the goon. And the, the interesting thing is, what was that guy's name? Uh, Nehemiah Ingram, right? Wasn't that? Yes. That was his name, right? Yeah. Um, The idea here uh, being that Aline Vigneault talked about how the team got pushed around in the Islanders series, how they even had gotten pushed around in the Montreal series. And I think if nothing else, and I, I hate to say this in a way that like reduces what this guy is trying to accomplish, but the knowledge, if you're another team, that there is this hulking man 
who can absolutely drop the gloves and make you regret taking a run at one of the Flyers' younger players like, I don't know, Nolan Patrick, having that little seed of doubt and knowing that you're going to play these teams so many times in your division this year, I'm not saying it's a full-on deterrent and in the heat of and the speed of a game, there's no guarantee that that's going to be in anyone's head. But I think just the fact that you know that there is a possibility that you will be met with vengeance, that the Flyers, Elaine Vigneault, could pull a Cersei Lannister and say, I choose violence and put Sam Moran out on the ice. There's something nice about that. And I know that like a lot of times people like to kind of crap on, you know, the, the whole idea of the Broad Street Bullies and and says, you know, get into the modern era. But there still is a place for a guy who can lay a big hit and a guy who's willing to drop the gloves in a game that has gotten so far away from that aspect of hockey. I think there's more of a place for it this season and this season alone because of the nature of the scheduling and only playing seven teams eight times each. It's it's going to happen. You're going to you're going to have you're going to have some animosity that drums up uh, drums up during the course of this season. And and so to have that there. You know, that's that's not a not a bad thing. Um, Sam said several times uh, over the course of the past week that he's been watching a lot of film of New York Islanders uh, fourth liner, Matt Martin, who's a big guy, plays a similar simple style at left at the, on the wing. And, he, you know, Sam says, if you know, if he can just replicate that, you know, they're quick shifts on and off make a hit, make the defenseman turn over the puck and get off the ice and then let your skill players come on and send it the other way, right? I mean, there is value in that in, yeah. in, the, in the game of hockey. Um, it may not look pretty on the advanced statistics stat sheets, um, but there is value in it. And that's why some teams still employ that player. It's kind of like, in the NFL where there are a handful of teams who do still employ a fullback. Yep. Because if they do their job well, they're not going to have the prettiest numbers, but they serve a, a greater purpose. And so sure. th there is room for that kind of player still in, uh, in a hockey lineup. One of the guys who I think people were surprised wasn't moved or it hasn't been experimented with as much of being moved from center to wing was Morgan Frost who I think entered this camp as a guy who might've had an outside shot without knowing the status of Nolan Patrick as a guy who, if he had filled out his frame more since a season ago and were, were able to put it together in this camp that maybe he would get a shot. And I brought that up to him today. Somebody else had brought it up as well, but they, they kind of took the, the line of questioning of assuming you don't make the team, would you rather be on the taxi squad or, or the phantoms? And I took it more on the, the side of the Sam Moran move shocked a lot of people. Have you advocated for, or do you see the need to advocate to the coaching staff to let them know that if your fast track to the NHL is to move to wing, if that's something they're actually interested in, have you done it? Will you do it? And he said that he's more comfortable at center. He's played most of his career at center, but you do hear it's not the same desperation. Let's be clear the the, <laughs> channeling my inner Obama here with the hand in it. Let me be clear. There's a difference between Sam Moran fighting for his career, as he said many times in his availability, and Morgan Frost, who's 
fighting to try to crack into a lineup that has no place for him at center. Uh, Charlie O'Connor, I believe today was the one who said, you've got four centers ahead of you by a pretty decent margin, right? In Sean Couturier, you've got Kevin Hayes, Nolan Patrick, and Scott Lawton, at least as things stand right now. There doesn't look to be a path there. Is the wing a, a possibility? And, you know, to his credit, he did kind of acknowledge that, like, there is this logjam in front of him. But he also noted that, like, there are also good wings on the team, too. So it's not as if there's a a, a clear hole for him to go to. Um, Elaine Vigneault did talk today as well about the possibility of trying him out at wing and that they rolled him on the other um, the other sheet of ice, playing him on the wing just to see what they have there. If you're Elaine Vigneault, is this a situation where you want to look at Morgan Frost more up close as part of the taxi squad and as a guy that you could rotate in? Or do you think it behooves him and the organization for him to go back down and play with the Phantoms? You're muted. You're so muted. Morgan Frost needs to play games. Um, he, he, it does you no good to really carry him as an extra guy who just is going to practice and skate hard. I mean, th- there are stretches of time for a young player where that's, that's, there is benefit to that. Um, Morgan's already had his, his toe in the water in the NHL mm-hmm. to be on the, I'm not certain being on the taxi squad helps his development. Like when I looked at the lines today, I thought that there were other forwards who were more likely to be on that taxi squad just based off of where they are experience-wise and what they project to be. So players like a Carson Twerinski and a Connor Bunneman who have played in the NHL. And even though they're still young players and could benefit from playing more games, they're never going to be more than third, fourth line guys. Yeah. Morgan Frost is a guy that you hope since you drafted him in the first round is a top six forward, whether it's at center or on the wing. I think ultimately he's a center um, because of his skill set and his hands. And so I think that ultimately that's where he'll be. But he needs to play. So I, I, I don't see – I was not surprised to see Morgan Frost on the Phantoms ice today when, when you sent out the, the lineups uh, on Twitter. And I saw I was like, oh, well, that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, to be honest, in the first two days at camp, I felt that Frost was kind of exceptional in drills and kind of non-existent in the games, in the scrimmages. And, and that's – you know. You always know you've coached, I'm sure, youth players playing soccer or whatever. Yeah. I've coached baseball. Um, there are always guys who are good practice players, but then when you put the red light on, they wilt. And just and vice versa, too. There are guys who are lazy in practice, but you know, when the games matter, they flip the switch and they're really good, right? So that's not to say Morgan Frost will always be that, but so far in this camp through three days, unless you felt in the scrimmage today, he was noticeable or better. Um, at least the first two days, he didn't seem it. And I think that that's why he was on that Phantoms roster. And I think that, look, I mean, is it possible that 
since the AHL is not starting until February 5th, that Frost is on that taxi squad for the first couple weeks just because there's no games in the AHL. So mm-hmm. you have him practice with the big club, you have him around the guys, and then there is a benefit to that. Sure. So I, I don't want to I don't want to poo-poo the idea of him making that taxi squad because he certainly could in that regard. But it wouldn't surprise me if once February rolls around and the Phantoms are playing games, that Morgan Frost goes back to to the Phantoms and somebody else is bumped up to that taxi squad. The thing that was interesting, I think, watching today, especially in the scrimmages, um you can see the potential, right? And and what you were talking about about you know practice champions versus uh, you know in game performers, it's like the difference between demonstrating skill mastery in a drill versus the actual application, right? It's it's one thing to have some kind of knowledge, but it's another thing to apply it in in a setting where you have to actually a- apply it within the speed and, and and adapt to what you're seeing, and there there there's a comparison i could make but I, there it's a very niche group that would understand it but like as a young kid who's really talented but doesn't look like, it's almost as if his his uh his hands and his skating his his brain is like working faster than his body is is the way that i see it the comparison here is brendan aronson who was an 18 year old who played for the Philadelphia union who for an entire season, you saw the flashes, you knew that there was something special about the kid, but his mind worked so much faster than his body that like the balance was off. The, the, the final touch was off and you would kind of see him getting down on himself this past season. He put it all together. He got sold off to uh, Red Bull Salzburg for three and a half million uh, dollars. Right. It, it could actually increase. That's that's a lot for a young player to give you an idea. Morgan Frost to me is like that guy. Everything is there physically. The, he has definitely filled out his frame more than he did, you know, where he was a year ago. I don't know at what point his body's going to catch up to his mind. That's the problem that I think they run into. And I could see a kid today who looked like He's lacking confidence because in the scrimmage, the guy who stood out on his line was Lena Sandin, who was all over the ice, netted one on the one side that went up on the Snow the Goalie Twitter account. I think it was also on the Instagram account and then almost netted another one when they switched for the second period of the scrimmage to the other ice. He stood out. Sam Moran stood out because he laid a friendly fire hit on Nolan Patrick. We'll get to that later. But Morgan Frost only had like glimpses. And it was never consistent enough. Like he didn't put a full shift together where you said, this looks like a kid who could be a dominant force. He has these flashes. And I think to like, from, from my vantage point, it's so frustrating to see because you know that there's potential to be unlocked. And you know that if, if it all lines up for him, he could be a, a central figure of this team for a six, seven year stretch. People that you and I, I think, both respect who are down there have compared him previously, his vision to Claude Giroux. I think he's got that level of skill. It's just at some point you you have to put that together or you run the risk of being the guy who can never break into the lineup. I mean, 
I, I, yeah. And he's still young. So I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm writing him off. I'm just saying like right now he doesn't, he doesn't look like he's there. You're not wrong. Um, I I just don't think we need to put so much pressure on him at this point. Well, there's no pressure on him. Well, no, I, I, well, I mean, but what you're just saying is, is that, you know, here's a guy that's got to figure it out because he's got a world of talent and he hasn't figured it out yet. That puts a little pressure on the kid. Um, But like from an organizational standpoint, there's no pressure on him. Because they don't, they don't have, they don't have a glaring hole at like two C that needs to be filled right no, now. No, but I, I don't think that there was ever a thought that he would be an NHL player to start this season by the team. Like I don't think, I don't think that they were coming into this saying, "Well, we really hope Morgan Frost has a great breakout in camp and makes the squad." If it happened, it happened. But I don't think that I don't think Chuck Fletcher and Elaine Vigneault and the rest of the um, powers that be in the organization were crossing their fingers and hoping for that to be the case. I think that they kind of knew that Morgan was still developing. So I'm perfectly okay with where he's at at this point. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let, you know, Get some games under your belt again. Start. One of the things that has always been said by, by coaches is a player will let you know when he's ready to make the jump from Mm -hmm. the minors to the NHL. Morgan Frost needs to go to the Phantoms and be a dominant player. And when he's too good for the AHL, that's when he's ready to come up. And he's just not there yet. It happened, what, February of last year, wasn't it, where he had the the 10 10 games with a point streak? And then right as it felt like he was about to get called up, he got injured. Right. Like that, yeah. oddly enough, like that kind of felt like his moment. Well, I mean, a guy that that is kind of a comparable right in a way was was Joel Farabee, who got brought up kind of out of necessity and and managed to stick around because he kept the initial results weren't there. He had like, what, two or three games where his goal was called back. He had an assist called back. It felt like he was never going to actually break through. But then he proved that he, he belonged. I think we all want to see Morgan Frost succeed. I I do wonder, like. If there are no injuries, I don't know what his path is right now to get into this lineup. Um, but again, we'll see. I guess the the guy that maybe you would hope that he would be ready to fill in for if need be is a guy who's a former number two overall pick, a guy who we have talked a lot about on this show, a guy that you wrote a hit piece about, a guy that I have always believed hit piece. in. A guy that um, we we just need to, to have a conversation here about Nolan Patrick because it's been the elephant in the room for over a year that there has been little to no communication between the player and the public. He popped up at the Flyers Wives Carnival, was it, a year ago? Uh, I think it was. Yeah, because I, I clipped that video. That video did well of him talking about how he was feeling. And I think that was the last public statement that we had actually seen from it was February, February of 20. Yeah. And so yeah. he met with the media for the first time in nearly a year. He's never been a guy who's been an extrovert to say the least, at least when it comes to the media. And you wrote a piece. I joked that it was a hit piece because there were a few people who got upset with what you wrote, but I, I think it's probably important to have you kind of explain your thought process of what you wrote. And I think it's also important that from my perspective, I note to the people 
that before that story was published, you wanted my feedback to make sure it wasn't coming off too critical because you didn't want it to sound like it was being excessively critical of Nolan Patrick, but that it was also being fair to what the expectation was and what the reality was in that moment. So go ahead. So here's what I was trying to say. Um, and I, it wasn't just the people on Twitter who I had to respond to, but I even got an email from someone who knows Nolan from his time in Brandon, Manitoba, um, which I'll, I should forward you the email I got and the email response I sent. Um, but look, he, he's not required to give us any medical information whatsoever. If he's not comfortable talking about his condition, whatever it may be, chronic migraines, some kind of disorder related to the concussions, whatever, whatever it is, then he needs to say to the team before he's put out in front of, a me of the media who haven't spoken to him for 10 months, um, I, I'm not, I don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about it. I, I just I don't feel comfortable talking about it. I would think that the majority, if not all, of the guys covering the team would respect that. If he said that now, are there ways to ask questions that kind of go around it? Like I, you know, if you listen to the interview when he was giving one word answers to Rob Parent and kind of, you know, saying, you know, it was Sam talking about contact that he doesn't, he didn't bring up contact and you know, being kind of confrontational in that regard. The question that I asked, I didn't get a great answer, but at least he answered it in some capacity because I, I asked the question, and I'm not trying to you know, pat myself on the back here, but I said, what has the mental strain been like dealing with all this, not knowing when you're able to come back? You know, at least this way, you might not be talking about the actual condition itself, but you could say something, give him an opportunity to say something relatable to the situation that he's in. Um, and, that, and it's something, look, that when you're talking to us, when you're talking to us, you are um, you're talking to the fans because we're the conduit for the fans, right? <clears throat> he has to know that he has to say something of value, even if it's not specific to to the to the headaches. By coming out and doing what he did, talking for five minutes and saying nothing and being churlish being you know like affronted that we're even asking him about this stuff yet knowing it was coming he puts himself in a spot where there is he has no leeway no wiggle room from fans or the media for that matter not that we matter but the, the fans if he struggles because now it's gotten to the point like okay you know what we're not asking you a question you don't want to talk about it we don't have to talk about it but then when you start playing games next week and you go eight games into the season and you have no goals and one assist and we're asking and we're asking you what's the problem and it's like oh well you know i'm just still trying to get my legs i haven't played in 3 years that that doesn't fly at that point you know what i'm saying you can't have it both ways so 
if, if you don't want to talk about your situation, say you feel fine, say I feel good, it was a good, it's a good day, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We're not going to ask about it, but then we'll be a little bit more critical if you're not playing well. Whereas if you kind of give us, and it's not like, it's not like, oh, you know, it's, it's a give and take thing. But if you are willing to share anything, how you feel about it, the struggles you've been through, you know, what was it like at home? You know, just talk to your folks about it. You know, talk to, you know, anybody. He's got a great relationship with Dale Weiss. Hey, we're able to, you know, just spend time talking to Dale. He's Dale's been through some struggles in the NHL as well. You know, does he give you any advice? Things like that. Like if you bring stuff up like that, then if you struggle for eight games, nobody's shining a harsh spotlight on you because it's like, you know what? Yeah. He's still dealing with something, but the fact that you don't say anything, it leaves, a, it leaves the door open to speculation. It leaves, it leaves no room for, for support or, or sympathy from fans. Not from us. Not from us. I root for the kid. I want to see him do well. There would be nothing better than the Flyers being six. There's nothing better for reporters than the team winning. And if, if Nolan Patrick's success is what makes the team win, I'm all for it. So I want to see him do well. But in lieu of that, you know, I'm not going to sit there and just shrug aside his struggles on the ice because he doesn't want to give you any kind of information about the struggles that he dealt with for the past two and a half years off the ice. And that's all. I mean, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with it. And, you know, if people want to call it a hit piece. They call it a hit piece. That's fine. You know, I, but it wasn't your intention for it to be a hit piece. No, not at all. Which is, which is what I'm saying. So, okay. A few things. One, I wish I'd been on that call. I had to do my other job. So I wasn't able to, because everybody knows that I'm a peacemaker and I'm somebody who gets through to, to those who, who don't like to be gotten through to. Okay. Enjoys my last name for God's sake. All right. Let's be honest here. I, I mend fences. Why you're a okay? member of the PHWA. That's why. That's why they've begged me for years to be in the PHWA. So there are a few things and there are a few ways that I go with this. One, uh, if you are a fan or a member of media and you're covering somebody who's missed as much time as he's missed and there isn't a part of you that roots for that guy to come back and to find success, there's something wrong. And when I think back to an interview that we did over the summer, uh, with Keith Primo, he said at that time, and it caught some people's attention, he said that if Nolan isn't able to get back to a place where hockey aside, where he's not able to get back to a somewhat normal life without this migraine issue, or if it's related to concussions, which they haven't confirmed, by the way, neither his camp nor him nor the team has confirmed it. It's just... It also just happens that he's had concussions in the past, um, as I'm sure many hockey players have. That if he can't get back to a normal life, then he needs to retire and he needs to focus on getting himself back to his normal life. And seeing him playing in scrimmages through uh you know, the later part of the fall out in Brandon, like it was encouraging 
but it doesn't mean much because nobody's going to go after the, the kid, right? Nobody's going to be overly physical with the kid. One, it's a scrimmage. And two, everybody knows who he is and they're rooting for him. Because the one thing that we can say is the players on the team really like him. The coaches seem to like him. Well, they recognize but, his talent and they know it can help the team win. And so there's part of me that thinks that the Nolan Patrick who exists in private and around the people that he trusts is a very different guy than the one who was out in front of the media uh, two days ago, a day ago. Uh, it was two days ago because that was that's right, because it was like it was the list, man. It was like all the people that you wanted to hear from. Right. You had him. You had Oscar Lindblom. You had Carter Hart. I mean, that that one, that's a lot of people like to hear from Two, They're all young players on this team who in some way, shape or form could be the future in varying degrees of this team. Um, I think it's. It's a tricky situation because I've compared him before to to Ben Simmons, and I'll stand by that in this way. When you're a talent who very clearly is going to project to be a guy who could potentially be a number one pick in your professional sports draft, and you are groomed to be that guy, there is now in this current media landscape there is this understanding that there is a way to go about answering questions. And there's this, whether it's a, an actual thing that's done with a PR firm, with somebody who's training you that way, or if it's just the way that you go about how you're going to interact with the media, there is a way that some of these guys go. And I don't think it's necessarily the right way to go. But in the case of like Nolan Patrick and Ben Simmons, both have been short with the media. Both in theory have been the consensus number one overall pick. Nolan Patrick taken second. Okay. The difference is the thing that let people kind of look past the issue with Ben Simmons is that after missing his rookie season, he's elevated his game to be an all NBA third team player an all defensive first team player. And while he still has flaws in his game, he's, reach that level of play where it is indisputable across the sport that he's a very gifted player. And you live with the fact that he's going to be somewhat condescending in his remarks or a little bit glib in his remarks and not be this like wonderful, you know, comedic guy like Joel Embiid is. Nolan Patrick's problem to me is he hasn't earned that yet. And so it's one thing if you don't want to talk to the media, and nobody will fault you for that. And like you said, if if you don't want to talk about the issues that you've had medically, that's fine. Who in their right mind likes to talk about their medical issues? There's one person who we'll talk about in a second. Very interesting juxtaposition. But like, not a lot of people like to talk about it. And by the way, there's no guarantee that whatever Nolan Patrick has found that's helped him get back to some sort of normal life and being able to be cleared for contact. There's nothing to say that tomorrow he doesn't wake up and, and, and has a, a slip, a regression. Right. And so if if part of it is a worry in his mind that like you cannot take anything for granted, then, God, it would have been good for him in this first media availability to say, I understand the job you have to do. I understand why you're asking the question. It is something that I don't really want to talk about because I know that things can happen and they can happen quickly. 
and they don't just affect my hockey life. They affect my life. And if you say that, if that's your response, there's no issue at all. Nobody None. can blame. None whatsoever. None. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't take humility. It doesn't take anything. It takes recognizing that the questions are going to be asked because it's been such a long time. It takes giving yourself just that little sliver of a little bit of your humanity and a little bit of the fact that you're not, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, that, that like things can happen. You're not this like perfect number one overall consensus kind of player that you're perfect on and off the ice. You don't need that. Um, he needs to also recognize and, and, and it, sometimes it takes guys a long time for this sometimes they never get it sometimes they get it right away everybody's different but he needs to also recognize that even if he's not the greatest communicator that if you if you just show a little bit of who you really are and take down that guarded facade that you put up just because we're reporters asking questions you might find that this becomes an, a much easier less anxious situation for yourself it, it might become he might suddenly become more comfortable talking about anything and everything because he realizes, guess what? We're just like him, you know, you know, we're human too. You know, I, I could sit there and, 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 and talk about, you know, anything with you. You know, I, I can still remember the first time that Briere came to the flyers. I, you know, I, I hate, I didn't, I wasn't a big fan of Danny Briere when he was in Buffalo. Always kind of annoyed me, right. That, the game, I was kind of a little bit curmudgeonly. Like French Canadians, that's what it I is. I was curmudgeonly back then. Not you like were? now. Not like were. now. Interesting <laughs> use of tense. Interesting. <laughs> Not like now where I'm, you know, I'm, you know. Mr. Happy. Mr. Happy and jolly. Um, fun loving. Um, but, you know, 15 years ago, uh, when I was roughly your age, I hated the fact that when the NHL came back from the, from the lockout in 2005, that they changed the rules to allow – small little guys who could skate to suddenly become like these tremendous goal scorers when they were next to nothing prior to that. So it bothered me that suddenly Danny Briere was a star player in the NHL. So when he comes to the flyers, I just kind of remember kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. And I remember the first time talking to him and I couldn't, you know, he was real at this point, he was well versed in being a good guy and, you know, knew how to handle the media and he was talking to guys and you could tell that the, the press conference was you know pretty much done. It wasn't even a press conference. It was a, uh, just a scrum. We were standing in a circle and I remember him looking at me and uh, he, and he's like, um, Hey, what's your name? And I gave him my name, whatever. And yeah, he says, Oh, you're from here, whatever. He started asking me questions about me. And so it was, it was very, it was very disengaging. Right. I mean, I mean, it was like, wow. Like he kind of, he kind of took, took me apart a little bit. Um, disarming, disarming, not disengaging. Yeah. Sorry. My, thank you for fixing that. Um, uh, and he, you know, he says, hey, you have kids. And we said, I said, yeah, I have three kids. He's like, oh, so do I. And it was like, so we had this connection 
And then over time, like we became friendly and stuff like that and talking in the locker room. And look, there were times I criticized Danny in, in stories and, you know, he felt that it was fair because it was deserved. He wasn't playing well. And then I can still remember when, um, you know, when he was, when he um, was getting, going through his divorce, which was a tough time for him. Um, I had already done it uh, with three kids and he had three kids. And so we had, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about that, like what the, what, you know, what my schedule was like. And, you know, he was trying to figure out how it would work for him and, and, and the like. And so like you start to learn that the guys asking you questions, we're just there doing a job. Right. And, and we're not bad people and we might have something good to share with you. And once you realize that it, it changes everything. Um, like I said, most guys in hockey eventually figure it out. The, the one reason I love covering hockey is because the players in this sport tend to be really good people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Nolan Patrick is a really good kid. The email I got from someone who knows him in, in, in Manitoba um, you know, talked about how he's always been a shy, sensitive kid growing up, et cetera, whatever. Fine. That's okay. You know? But he's 22 now. You know, he's old enough to go buy himself a beer act like you're having a beer when you're talking to the, talking to the media, you know, sitting at the bar, having a conversation, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how different things can be. You know, it's interesting just, to me is I just hope that he, he finds that at some point. The guy that he was closest with on the team was Dale Weiss, who was on this show, who came David, on this show and talked the, about the need, the need to be open and honest and show personality to the media. And then Six hours later, overnight as the show dropped, we find out that Dale Weiss has been assigned to the Phantoms and was going to be shipped out. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he listened to the interview. He saw what happened and he said, nope, I'm out. Uh, Let's talk about Nolan Patrick on the ice. Now, I don't know what you saw when you were there, but I can tell you I I can tell you and I think I can kind of. uh, I brought this up a little bit ago in the scrimmage. Nolan Patrick and and, uh, Sam Moran are out on the ice together. I don't remember who it was um, on the other squad that Sam went to go lay a hit in on, but he went in and it was near the bench and he laid a crushing blow and more or less missed his target. And the brunt of the hit was felt by Nolan Patrick who there was kind of like a collective gasp among the media. There was a change in the energy on the ice and on the bench. And Nolan Patrick was slow getting up. And there was a real worry because, you know, obviously you don't have the benefit of replay and nobody could really see it was, it was at the far end of the ice. It was on the other side. Nobody really knew where he got hit, but we all saw him get up slowly. And then it looked like, is he going to go off the ice? Is he going to go in the back? And that was, no, he's on the bench. And then it looked like he was getting up and, and kind of like saying to teammates as if he was about to, to go back. To his credit, he doesn't miss a shift. He gets back to his spot on the bench. He's out on the next shift. And I will say that from that point on, now I think he looked engaged anyway. And I thought all, all practice, he looked engaged. But from that moment on, he looked like a guy who was trying to prove something. And the other thing that I, I found interesting was not only did he look like it there, but even when they went to do shootout practice, that is where you got to see even more of that skill. I mean, it, it, it certainly showed up in the scrimmages, but seeing a guy, seeing how quick his stick work was, 
Like you, you see it, you see why he was a consensus number one overall pick. And if you're able to get that guy, and I brought this up with Lillian Vino today on the call, if you're able to get that guy healthy and you're able to have a, a healthy Oscar Lindblom, think about what that does to the ceiling of this team. Last year's squad was a hell of a good team. Even in March, a really good team playing some of the best hockey. They didn't have Nolan Patrick. They didn't have Oscar Lindblom. In the bubble, they had Oscar Lindblom, who wasn't at 70% health, right? It was a good story, but like physically, he wasn't there yet. He looks like he's back. And Nolan Patrick looks really good. Imagine what this team is with those two guys back and healthy and how much better this team is. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think Patrick has looked really good in camp so far. Again, it's camp. It's just drills and scrimmages against your your friends. Um, we'll see once the real puck drops. But yeah, I, I, you're right. I mean, it it, it could be it could be a, a game changer in the division. They could be right now. They're if you look at the odds, I think they're ranking second in some places in the in the east third and others behind boston sometimes behind washington um but mostly just behind boston um and that's probably a fair spot to put them uh, you know they're better they're better than pittsburgh they're better than the islanders even though the islanders beat them in the playoffs last year mm-hmm. and then the rangers sabers and devils are toward toward the bottom you can be better than Boston if those two guys reach their potential this season. Yep. So I don't know how you feel about this, but the, the line that he was rolling on today, Nolan Patrick, he was with, he was flanked by JVR and Jake Voracek. I don't think that line has nearly enough speed. I feel like that could be a problem. I do like the idea of having him out there with two guys who can score one who can be a net front presence in JVR and another who can be an all around kind of dynamo in Jake Voracek. Voracek was interesting today because after he jokingly said that uh, he didn't do effing anything, he, um, he noted that when Nolan Patrick got hit, he wasn't worried. He said he was right there. They're right there on the bench. They said some stuff and that he said he's ready. And it was interesting because Jake, I think, is the first guy who out outright has said he's ready. Brian Elliott today was even like a little bit um, a little bit cautious. Right. I don't think anybody wants to throw the idea out there. that like Nolan Patrick is ready. And then it puts these like high expectations again. But Jake looked at it. You looked into the camera and said he's ready. And he looks like he's been ready and you can see it. When, when you look at this lineup, when you have in theory, if this is how the season starts, Jake Voracek and JVR flanking the number two overall pick from his draft as your third line. That's a deep team. Yeah. It's well balanced. I like the lines that he put together. I mean, you got, he moved Giroux away from Couturier, has him with Kevin Hayes and Farabee, and then reunited the line that was really hot before uh, before Lindblom's cancer diagnosis with Lindblom on the left, Couturier in the middle, and Konechny on the right. Um, so I, I think that that's three really good lines. And then the fourth line... Um, Rafa Lawton and, and Avi Kubel. Which is like the murder hornets, right? I mean, that's, yep. that's what they are. They're going to be buzzing around. Um, 
So, I, you know, I, it's a really good team. And that's why another reason why I think Morgan Frost is, is destined for the AHL because unless one of the top centers gets hurt, um, if somebody in, in the lineup, if a wing gets hurt, you're likely going to see Lawton move back out from center and they bring in a Bunneman or, you know, or something, or Raffle moves to center and Twarinski jumps into the lineup on the fourth line. You're not going to see Morgan Frost come in unless he's playing bigger minutes, right? So, so you know, the, it's a deep forward team. The interesting thing to me, and I, I got to be honest with you, Russ, we've been recording this thing for over an hour now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a good episode. But I got to tell you, I think you buried the lead today. Yeah. Who was who is out there with Ivan Provorov as your top pair defenseman today? Shane Gostisbear. Who? Shane Gostisbear, the guy that you have consistently buried on this podcast, who I've told you has all the potential in the world. (laughs) So it's interesting because Vino said today that because of the, the truncated camp, the idea here, at least for this day, was to try to go with lines that have had chemistry in the, in the past and to see if they could tap into that. And I will say that at least today, Provorov and, and Gostisbehere looked good. And if we go back a day to Shane Gostisbehere meeting with the media, I think it, it would be beneficial for you to talk to, to this. But there was a, a certain level of honesty that Shane Gostisbehere had in his, his media availability that I think has always been there and he's never been one to be afraid to say things and to talk to the media, but there was something very interesting. And there was an interesting interaction he had with Vino that to me says, yeah, you know what? There, there is a path to, to him starting on the top pair and it not being a mistake. Yeah. I'm not certain that it's a full season thing, but you know, when Vino said he's going to get an opportunity to play, I thought about it and I said, where is his opportunity? Because if Eric Gustafson's in the lineup, they're, they're similar players. You're not breaking up um, Sanheim and Myers. So where, where does it fit? How does it work? And frankly, Gustafson's probably a little bit better on the left side, which is the same side Provorov plays on. So how does it all, how does it all work? And yeah, it dawned on me that you know, they're going to try out Gostaspare on the top pair. And if you flash back three seasons when Gostas Bear had his 65-point season and was, you know, everybody's darling on this team, that was when he played with Provorov for much of the season. Mm-hmm. He's now 100% healthy, which he says he hasn't been for more than two years. Now, yep. you take that, you know, you take him at his word. I mean, he says that, and... You know, we don't really know for sure. You know, we've heard athletes say that in the past, you know, oh, I'm, I feel great. I'm the best I've ever been. And then, yeah. you know, five games into the season, they're on the DL again, right? <laughs> or whatever. Um, but, uh, it, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if he is healthy and he's been given a basically a last chance here because of the pandemic, because the Flyers couldn't move his contract, not that it's a bad contract, because it's not, but even a even three years of a defenseman at four point five million, 
in this era when the NHL is freaking putting sponsorships on the names of the divisions, for God's sake, because there's no money in the sport. That's mm-hmm. too big, too much money to move to another team. Nobody wants to spend it. So he gets another chance. He has a frank conversation with Vino, and he basically tells Vino, look, it's it's been, yeah, it's been frustrating, you know? I, I don't know if, you know, the next stride I take is going to going to hurt. I don't know if, you know, I'm being traded. I don't know if I'm in the lineup. I don't know. And, and it's a it's a tough road to hoe mentally. And Vino is like, okay, well, all right. Well, we're more concerned about, you, you know, you being consistent. We're more concerned about you f- playing the system. We're more concerned about doing things the right way. And if you're able to do that, then you could be in the lineup. And I think that that message kind of hit home a little bit for Goss because, you know, he admitted, he said, look, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, I see the trade rumors. I read every one of them. It's my life, is what he said. It's my life. And, and I can guarantee you every other player in the, in the NHL is the same way. They all lie and say, oh, we don't pay attention to the media. BS. They all do. Um, but it was nice to hear Gossip Bear admit it. He says, yeah, it's my life. And he says, and I've made a life for myself here in Philadelphia. He's been here, what, six years now? He kind of likes it here. He wants to stay here. I'm sure his – I'm not sure if he's officially married yet, uh, girlfriend, fiancé, whatever the deal is. She probably likes it here. Um, so he probably wants to stay here. And if he wants to stay here, he's going to have to play. He doesn't have to be a 65-point player, but he has to be a lot more than he was the last two seasons. And he's going to be given that chance. And it's crazy because you and I were trading him as early as 2018. We had him on the trade block. And then as time progressed, all of a sudden he started showing up on sportsnet.ca's trade list. He started showing up on TSN's trade list. Saravali had him, you know, near the top of his guys at the trade deadline last year that were going to likely to be moved. Even in the offseason, people thought he's gone. There's no way the, the Flyers keep him on the team. And in fairness, and he's in fairness, here. at the end of the Ron Hextall regime, at least two teams reached out prior to the deadline to acquire him. This is although true. they weren't they weren't offering a lot. Um, we, I'm sure there had to be interest even a, a season ago because for any GM you look at what he's been in the past and you think if the guy gets healthy and a change of scenery, he can be a dynamic defenseman that drastically changes your ceiling as a team and can impact your power play. Which, <laughs> by the way, Flyers power play. Um, you want to talk I, about impacting where the Flyers are in the division? You talk about Patrick and Lindblom getting yeah. back to where they were. Even more so, if Gostas Bear gets back to anywhere close to what he was, it makes the Flyers the best team automatically in the division. Even if his only real contribution to the team were to quarterback one of the power play units in a way that, in a dangerous way, that would be worth it. Even if he were still, if he at five on five, even if he were a guy that that still made defensive lapses from time to time, you could live with it if he drastically improved your power play. And I think between the interaction that he had with Vino, with the the realization, if he hadn't had it before, that things might not be looking the best for him, his prospects on this team might not be looking the best in terms of playing time, and maybe the signing of Eric Gustafson, who plays a very similar role, and was brought in here to play a similar role and to potentially be the next in line for some power play time. 
if that's what it took, if all of those things together lead to another breakout or a bounce back season from Shane Gostas bear, this is big. I mean, you start to put a few of these things together and the flyers don't have a lot of ifs like in the past. I was like last year, right? Last year we sat down with Frank Saravalli. It was like eight or 10 ifs. This season doesn't have that many ifs, but if a few of those ifs all hit, this isn't a team that is fighting for their playoff life. This is a team that many teams in this division could be afraid of having to play night in and night out because they are dynamic and because they can come at you in so many different ways. And maybe most importantly, they have a veteran coaching staff that although didn't make every perfect adjustment in the postseason, another year of rolling with a system in the second year. And Vino's talked about this where last year they did so much teaching, teaching, teaching during camp. And even in the early part of the season about how to play the system this year, instead of having to teach, 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 they're able to kind of refine and these guys know where to be. So to me, like the ceiling on this team, and this is weird because we're about to be positive, but like, to me, the ceiling on the team is they could win the division. If, if these things break right, they're the best team in the division. If only one or two of these things happens, second in the division is not a bad consolation prize. This should not be a team that is in the middle to the lower tier of the division. Granted, it is a very tough division. They, they could finish first. And it's not a real stretch to say it. No, you're, you're spot on with that. That's, that's yes. really three years, three years. And I finally said something that's spot on. It's why, still real to me. That's why you're in the PHWA. Um, that's why they asked me. <laughs> that's going to become like a new thing on the show. That's why they asked you to be in the PHWA. Oh, Russ. All right. Well, we've been at this like an hour and a half. Like, I think we got to, we have a couple more things we got to wrap up, right? I guess so. You got your you got your segment that you love to do. Oh, which wait I a roll second. which I, I roll my eyes. I'm sorry. At. Give me give me one second here. Are you talking about everyone's new favorite segment? Everybody's most favorite segment here on the podcast? Oh, that's right. It's No Goalie. Oh yes. No the goalie. Anthony, there there comes a time in every man's life when he's expected to uh to execute at a high level and you have not done so uh, on this segment. I tried to give you one that I thought you would know, not because the player was a well-known player, but because it's something that you would kind of think is a, um, like a, a, a decent trivia last right, let me, week. Let, let me say, I this asked though, you what, no, but let me, let what? me stop. Let me interrupt you for just a second. I you think don't we've get done to interrupt. This is my segment. Damn it. We, we've done four of these, right? So far, if I'm, if I recall correctly, four or five, I think this is, this, I think this is the fifth, right? So I, I think that one was one was easy. That was the Boucher one. That was really easy. One was eh, not not ridiculously hard, but I didn't get it on the first guess. I think I got it at the second guess. Um, the other two were absurd. They were absurdly difficult. 
you would have had to been family members of those goalies to to know the answer to those questions. And even some of their family members probably didn't know that answer. So um, so two of them have been absurdly ridiculous. So I think that you're you're 50 50 so far on on the, the level of the quality of your questions. So we'll see if you can get back onto the plus side of the ledger or if you're going to, you know, fall off the table here and, and, and drop down to the 40 percent mark. The fact that you are trying to uh, to bully me into giving you an easy answer is very hurtful. It doesn't need to be easy. I'm going to give you an easy one. I'm going to give you an easy one. And if you don't need to be obscure, listen, I'm going to give you an easy one. No, I want it to be obscure. That's fun. If you don't get this one right, you owe me. Um, what do I want to make the wager? You owe me uh, a tweet. That says you have been defeated at know the goalie and that I am great at goalie trivia and also um, uh, a lunch or a dinner at some point. That's what you uh, owe me. Uh-huh. I owe you nothing. I give you my presence every week and I uh, I got you into the PHWA. So, <laughs> all right, here we go, Anthony. Here's your clue for the five people who have stuck around after all these shenanigans to hear it. In NHL history, 11 goalies have scored a goal. They've actually totaled 14 goals. So 11 goalies have scored 14 total goals. Only one goalie in NHL history has scored a goal on an opposing goalie. Who was that goalie? That's a good question, Russ. Because I know most of the goalies who have scored goals. And I'm trying to think of the only one to score on another goalie. I'm going to say, and I think that the the reason I'm going to say this is because if I recall correctly, he didn't actually score it. He was credited with it because of the way that the play unfolded. He was the last player to touch the puck. Billy Smith of the New York Islanders. <sighs> no. Oh. See, he, he was, I think, the first to be credited with a goal, but he didn't actually score the goal. He, yeah. went, uh, he was the last player to touch the puck, and then the puck ended yep. up in the opposing team's net. And so I think that that was – I thought maybe that was the one. All right. Now, uh, he, another, so he was me, the first. Give me another guess. Give me another guess. That was the um, only reason I guessed that because I knew that Hextall was the first to actually score a goal. But I know both of Hextall's goals were on empty nets. Um, I watched okay. both of them live. Right. So okay. – um, I have a few different ways that I could go for clues here. I'm hoping well, that by this me, point somebody another, has got – I, like I said, I know okay. most of the goalies who've scored it's a, goals. It's a team that is in the Flyers division. Um, well, Marty Brodeur. I mean, he scored. That is few. correct. Yeah. It's Marty Brodeur. So here's what happened. I'm going to take people back to March 21st of 2013. Uh, the, the Devils were playing the Carolina Hurricanes. Dan Ellis, who was playing in goal for the Hurricanes, started to head to the bench on a uh, delayed penalty. And a a bad pass that happened 
um, sent the puck back down into their own net when he was still on the ice. And he tried to get back, but it didn't work. And the last Devils player to touch it was Brodeur. So I had the same. I had the right concept. You had the right concept, but the wrong guy. So, yeah, technically, because Ellis tried to race back to his net and was unable to stop the puck. He was credited with a goal against. He was credited with a goal against Dan Ellis. So Marty Brodeur is this week's know the goalie. That's a good one. That's a good question. I'll give you I'll put that one on the plus side of the ledger. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that's that. That's better. I mean, it, instead of asking me, who the hell was the guy last? I, I, he, I, he was ben so Scrivens. Ben Scrivens. Right. I mean, who the hell knows? So ben I actually Scrivens? I uh, I tried to get Ben Scrivens to come on the show this week to read the uh, <laughs> that's not true. I should. I actually should do that. I don't know what I'm waiting for. I should at this point have gone out and made it a point to. uh like I should have. I, I actually now regret the fact that I haven't done that yet. You, you have the contact with the NHLPA. <clears throat> I do. Right. The alum- I really should make uh, this the alumni thing. department there. Yeah. You know, reach yeah. out and say, well, I need Ben Scrivens. Yeah, I should. Ben Scrivens is going to be like, what the hell is this? He's like, Excuse me. So uh, a few things. Housekeeping notes on our way out here. One, it's been a while since we've gotten a five star review and a five star rating on um, Apple Podcasts. And that's OK. But there are thousands of people who listen to the show. And at this point, I believe globally we are up to 173 ratings, most of which are five stars. I say most because not all. 153 of them are five-star ratings. We have gotten dinged a few times, Anthony. We have six one-star reviews. We have three – or no, I'm sorry. We have four uh, one-star ratings. We have two – Two star ratings, ten you know, and three you know who, star ratings. You know who? You know who's given us those one star reviews? Other people in the PHWA. I think that's probably right. Like Rob Parent is currently making uh, burner accounts on Apple Podcasts just to leave us one and two. I think Fish would give us a three though, so I, I think I think we're okay there. But listen, nothing makes Anthony or Anthony happier than seeing a five star review pop up. And I'm going to do something here that we haven't done for a while. We're going to do the Lee C five-star review. Uh, Lee C, of course, oh, is one Lee. of our favorite listeners who, after every single episode, leaves a review. Now, I don't know if that helps us or if that hurts us in the Apple podcast rankings. I genuinely don't know. I'm going to look it up because if Lee is actually hurting us, I'm going to have to ask Lee to stop it. For now, we're going to continue to allow Lee to leave five-star reviews as if like Lee asks his permission. Giroux, uh, Giroux podcast, five stars. This was another great podcast. I love the fact that in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight Lee C five-star reviews that I can go back in the archives for. Nope. Nine. Hold on. I'm still going. <laughs> 10. Oh my gosh. Lee C. How many have you left? <laughs> 11, 12. 13, 14, 15. God love them. Um, I think we're at 16, 17. I can't keep going. 18. Oh, my God. It, it doesn't stop. 19, 20, 21. Okay, you get it. Every single uh, one of those reviews Lee has left has started with, this was another great podcast. Lee, we appreciate you listening. 
and all the people out there who listen to the show. Anyway, this was another great podcast. Very nice banter regarding the Giroux press availability. Did Sam's questions act as an AV whip at Captain Claude? Uh, it was not called for during the opening press avail availability. I thought Ant's article was spot on regarding Claude's upcoming and future seasons. With the taxi squad this season and the AHL starting in February, it will challenge the Flyers coaching staff and GM on how to balance who is on the taxi squad versus the AHL roster. Given waivers are required to move between taxi squad and AHL, the squad could be based on the ELC contracted players. It will be a balancing act. A solid podcast. Happy New Year's to both of you. Great job, guys. Continued success with your podcast. Thank you, Lisi. Continued success. You know, if if you want to be like Lisi and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, one of the other things that we, we, of course, ask every week is don't forget to follow us over on Twitter at Snow the Goalie, Instagram, where we've been increasing our presence at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Follow, like, subscribe, spread the word to every Flyers fan you know about the Only Flyers podcast. By the way, we have one other thing that we need to address. Two things. One, uh, we're working on having a guest yes. for sometime in the next week or so. Yeah. Which would be a big get. Um, you have submitted requests. I, I believe have. that any of the people that you have requested would be a big get. So that would be nice. Um, we have a giveaway that's going to be coming up. The Flyers uh, have worked with us once again on doing a giveaway for the uh, the listeners of this show. I think this one is going to be a very popular one and it's going to get people excited for the season. I'm just waiting for the stuff to come in so I can take a picture and start to promote it on social. Um, I think we're going to work on doing more giveaways this year uh, in exchange for following. We're going to be cheap and we're going to be easy. You follow, you get entered to win. <laughs> we're very simple people. So make sure that you follow Snow the Goalie on Instagram and Twitter at Snow the Goalie, Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. We're working, uh, you know, the, the Flyers do not have any uh, practice on Thursday, so there will be no new content coming out um, from the team or anything like that. We do have some videos that we took uh, from camp today that includes some uh, absolutely filthy shootout goals. I think we'll drop some of those on the different social channels tomorrow. But just make sure that you follow us over there. And of course, on Twitter and Instagram at Ant Sanfilly. You can see that in the description of the episode at Joy on Broad. Written content going up on crossingbroad.com. And it's probably worth noting to people that the Press Row show will be coming back very soon. I don't know how soon. I know that they have an intra squad game that is going to be this Sunday. We think that the media is going to be allowed in. Um, I don't know what the logistics of that look like yet. So I'm not going to promise that there will be a Press Row show on Sunday. What I can say is that you and I are figuring out what that setup is going to look like. We're still looking to see what the internet setup is going to look like. The press row show will be back this year. We are very excited to do it. We're working on a couple of things with it. If you have a small business and you are interested in having a few thousand people, every game, seeing your logo directly linking back to your site, or your social media page, and you want to roll with the Press Row Show, or heck, even Snow the Goalie here, you can reach out to us. And also, if you have a, a clue for a Know the Goalie, we're snowthegoalie at gmail.com. If that is something of interest to you, feel free to reach out. We are always happy. Look, we usually have our sponsorships with Cinch and DraftKings. We'll be getting those going as well. 
but especially given everything that's happening in the world, I, I certainly like the idea of working with small businesses. So if it's something that you're interested in doing short-term or long-term, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or snowthegoalie at gmail.com. If you have a question, if you're not on social media, send us an email there. If you have a clue for a know the goalie and you want to help stump Anthony Sanfilippo, which I mean, let's be honest, isn't very difficult. Snowthegoalie at gmail.com. We will be back next week. Make sure to follow on social media. If we are able to figure out the logistics, we will know and we will tell you when the Press Row Show will make its season debut. And hey, Ross. Yeah, I got two things. Yeah. See, you didn't expect this. But I have two things. I have two, I have two goodbyes. One that's, that's uh, uh, you know, a little heartfelt and uh, one that's annoying me. Okay. So I'm going to do the annoying one first because that's just me. I like to, you know, be crusty mm-hmm. up front. Mm-hmm. We broke on Crossing Broad this week that that, uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia has changed their pre- and post-game lineup for the Flyers. Yeah. They had already fired Chris Terrian, Mm -hmm. which was a mistake. And And not only them. It wasn't only them, too. It was also the Flyers. The Flyers, his his work that he was doing – on the yeah. digital, uh, like the podcast and the digital production side, yep. they've also cut ties. Correct. Um, which was a mistake. Uh, you know, those people we know, we already know who's running the show over there and they don't know what the, the hell they're talking about. Um, and then they also fired Katie Emmer. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say this about Katie Emmer. Katie had uh you know she had some work to do i I mean she wasn't an ideal studio host katie was probably miscast there she would probably have been better um in the locker room interviewing players because she knows the game she knows hockey right and so she can ask good questions about the game so they moved they, they got rid of katie and the new team is going to be um, Taryn Hatcher in studio. So there's no more sideline reporter at all for the Flyers. And then Scott Hartnell for half the games, which is awesome. You know, Hartsey's fantastic. I think he, I think he's got to, he's got to grow as a broadcaster. But he's a fantastic person and will be, will be entertaining. We've had him on the show as yes, well. Yes, we have back in the archives. Yeah, he's he's entertaining. It's um, the snow. It's the snow. The goalie rub. We we yes. bring people on. They either get fired, cut. We're promoted. We're promoted. So we're good. <laughs> um, and then I, I guess Morgani is still there um, for the short term or, or something. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then I, I don't know. They're, last I heard, they were trying to find another person, whether that, you know, whether they decide to bring Colby Cohen back. We have no idea. Or they go and get somebody else for a, few, a handful of games. But they probably should have flipped Taryn and Katie last year. And, and had Katie in the locker room. And I guarantee you it would have been a different situation. Now, well, from what we understand, Katie was not under contract like Taryn, what, Taryn is. She was kind of a uh, as-needed person or paid per, uh, per show, um, mm-hmm. which is strange because she moved from Minnesota to take the gig. They, their timing on this was bad. Because here's here's a here's a, a young broadcaster who's got some ability, um, 
and will be, you know, she'll be good in the future, who loses her job like two weeks before the season starts. Like if you were gonna, if you were planning to get rid of Katie Emmer, not that I thought it was a good call, but if you were going to do it, you should have told her in August, give her an opportunity to find another gig in hockey somewhere in the country before the season starts. Yep. But NBC, SN, and I, I guess uh, Sean Alexiak is the is the guy in charge over there for this. I think they really dropped the ball on 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 this. Not as much for the talent. I mean, like I said, I, I think she was miscast. I I think she'll be good where she you know if she ends up as a sideline person somewhere else. But the way that you go about doing it and when you go about doing it is just is just not good. That's not good business. So that's my that's my miserable goodbye. Oh my God, there's more. So let me let me <laughs> just kind of uh, to echo echo your thoughts. Um, I do think that this was a the so just to give people an idea, this is I guess where the the crossing broad side of things you know pop up, and you know some people hear that name and they they freak out, and then some people are like, okay, that's Radio Wars. The the sources that have reached out that have been hundred percent every time, especially in recent years about what's going on over there. It's showing and it, it's not that it's just showing on the flyer side, the, the in front of camera and the behind camera people who have been cut have left a bare bones crew. And I don't blame the people who were there. Now I don't blame the talent that are there. They are undermanned. And I think too much is being asked of them. But like watching Sixers coverage since they started their season, there have been how many times where there have been miscommunications between going from the studio and then back to the telecast where it feels like this is probably an issue that would have been resolved with the full staff. I think Katie Emmer was put in a bad position. I think that she will find another job in the sport. I think that if what we had heard about her contract is true, I think that this is a very bad look for NBC sports, Philadelphia, and for the people who are running that station, that a young female broadcaster was brought in on a contract that I do not believe her predecessor was on this per game basis. Typically, if you're on a per game basis, that means you're not getting full health benefits. I can't say for sure. I have not seen the contract but that's what we're going off of with industry standard. And you did not give her a chance to continue to improve. And I get that across all sports, they wanted to get rid of the sideline people. Greg Murphy lost his job with the Phillies. Serena Winters lost her job with the Sixers. I get it. But what they did to Katie Emmer and having her come in from Minnesota, she uproots her life. She comes here. She does a solid enough job for the first year in a role that, we both agree was not her, her strongest suit. Could she have gotten better and learned in year two? Yeah. Could you theoretically have flipped her and Taryn Hatcher? Yes. Do we know that Taryn Hatcher is on a different kind of contract where she also has a lot more of the social media side of things like the digital content side? Yes. Could they have found another role for her and not had to eliminate a position? Yes. I think this is a bad look. I think that in a, in a media, a sports media scene that does not have a lot of women in it, 
to do something like this to a young female talent, I think is a very bad look, especially given that it happened this close to the season and that it is being done under this guise of we don't have the money because of COVID. That to me is BS and it is wrong. Okay, now back to you. I have one more goodbye. Um, found out uh, on Monday that um, longtime WIP program director Tom Bigby passed away at the age of 76. Um, he had been having some uh, heart related issues um, and uh, they finally got the better of him. Um, he was living in Dallas uh, or outside of Dallas, Texas at the time. Um, when I broke into the Philadelphia sports media business in the 1990s, it was as a producer at WIP Radio. Tom Bigby was my boss. Tom Bigby was a very difficult man to work for. He used to yell at me and tell me that a monkey could do my job. He didn't like me. Um, he would push and prod. And finally, uh, he, had, he gave that monkey line one too many times, and I looked back at him, and I said, we know, Tom, not every monkey could do this job because Gibbons only have thumbs. They don't have fingers, so they couldn't answer the phone and do the sliders on the board. I was so frustrated. Um, I lost my job at WIP because Tom Bigby did not like the fact that I overheard him yelling at on-air talent and telling another on-air talent not to talk about a specific subject so he didn't get in trouble as well. Tom Bigby called me into his office and fired me that day. I was crushed. I was one of the best producers at WIP. I was there for a long time. Um, I, was, I, I, I couldn't believe what had happened. And I, all I was doing was trying to help out the show that I was working on so that they didn't get in trouble from the boss. In time, I got to know Tom Bigby on social media, on Facebook. Tom Bigby was a guy that I always had in the back of my head whenever I thought about doing radio or doing podcasting, which I've done in various forms over the last several years. Um, and he was a guy that has always been in, the, in, my, in my head because he created what was the preeminent sports talk station in America for a long time. Now, I think WIP has kind of gotten stale. It's kind of fallen off the, you know, fallen off a little bit as far as the way the content is, is presented. Still the king in this, in this city, right? Um, but it's, it's not what it used to be. But in that time... And I, Tom Bigby would reach out to me on his own, not, you know, not like me asking him for, for input, but would reach out to me on his own and say, hey, I listened to your show. You're doing good work. Keep it up. Or, hey, you might want to try this. I think you've got something good going there. He was a fan of Snow the Goalie. As much as he hated hockey, and the man hated hockey, could not stand the sport. You were not allowed to talk about it on WIP. He said to me, you have found a very good niche market in that city. Keep doing what you're doing. People are going to listen to you. 
and he said, and not just from Philadelphia, there are Flyers fans everywhere. They're going to listen to you. And it would just be random, like little messages that I would get from him out of the blue. And it's funny because I went from a time when I was in my early twenties working for him, hating the man on a daily basis to him becoming a bit of a mentor in, in an odd way. Um, over the last five or six years. And I'm glad that I had an opportunity for that to switch. I'm glad that I didn't hold a lifetime grudge against Tom Bigby because the man knew what he was talking about. The man knew how to be run a successful radio station. He knew what was good talent and what wasn't good talent. And for him to take the time on his own to just because I would put a post up on Facebook or something on Twitter and he would click on the link and listen to it on his own time and take a minute to send me a message, whether he listened to the whole thing or listened to 30 seconds of it, I don't ever know. But for him to take that time and, and send me that message, despite how rocky it was at the beginning between the two of us, I, I, I've always been thankful for that. So now that he's gone, um, you know, and didn't get it, obviously didn't get a chance to say goodbye because it was such a, it was a sudden passing. Um, I at least wanted to take a minute here at the end of the show to provide that tribute to Tom Bigby uh, and say thank you because I'm not sure Snow the goalie would be here today if Tom Bigby didn't give me such a hard time when I was first breaking into this business. Well, so. thanks, Tom. That's very nice. It's the first time you've ever said anything nice, kind, or genuine. So. <laughs> I know that was hard for you. I will point out that I probably, I don't think I, how long, when was, when was he the program director from when until Oh, when? from the beginning. Um, 89, right, I want to say. Until Maybe not the very first couple of years. Okay, so it was that early, doesn't matter. I probably wasn't alive. It was the, early 90s to mid 2000s. So it was, it was a good stretch. It was probably like 15 years. Yeah, I probably WIP. wasn't listening at that point. And I was there from 97, <coughs> excuse me. 97 to 01. Okay. Who was there after that? As program director? Yeah. I'm just trying to think who was next. Um, it, it wasn't. See, it was, I, I guess. Was it Bloom? Oh, yeah, that's Bloom, right. Bloom, I don't know if Bloom replaced Bloom was him. There at, Bloom was, at, was there at some point. That was the Innis. Uh, there might have been somebody in between. Time. There might have been somebody yeah. in between. It's interesting how, like, how program directors take a very different um a different strategy as they get to try to make a station their own i i definitely was not a wip listener i guess during uh tom's time or maybe in the immediate aftermath i think the only time that i had listened it's interesting because when i think back to my college days in like the end of the aughts into the early teens right the interesting thing was like 97.5 to me was was the the far more listenable station it had shows that my friends and i enjoyed a lot more and then that fell off a cliff and then uh, i know that people think that like the station now is a, a very hot takey thing i know it's not your thing but i do think like there there's obviously something that works there and i i wonder in like the the overall scheme of things when you think about sports radio Sometimes that the name and sometimes the uh, the nostalgia is a thing that carries. I will say, like, it's interesting, and we don't really get into that to the the radio side of things on this show as much as like we used to with Crossing Broadcast. But like, 
there's a reason that that station continues to mop the floor with their competition top to bottom. And you and I had had an experience working for uh, one of their competitors on uh, one of one of their company's stations. And I don't know, it was an okay enough experience, but there aren't a whole lot of people who talked very well about the people who were in charge then. And there certainly are not a lot of people who talk about the people who are in charge of that station now. I have to say that like after interacting with some people that um, work at WIP now and having gone on a couple of their shows as a guest a few times in the last year, they rave about their current program director. And so it's interesting because the way well, that I'll, I'll, I will say this, I mean, Spike yeah. asking gets it. I mean, he gets his audience. Yep. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I have to particularly like it. I'm probably not. I mean, I'm still within the target, right? Because it's it's you want uh, men 18 to 54. I mean, that's your primary, you know, demographic. But that, you haven't been in that demo for 10 years. Come on. I'm, I still talking. got some time, man. I still come got a few. On. I got, I got yeah, yeah. several I know, years yeah, left yeah, there. All right. Um, but even though I'm, I'm I'm at the back end of that of that demo, um, so I'm not on the younger end, and he he's hit the the younger end really well. And there's guys on that station that make my skin crawl with some of the stuff that they say, but it doesn't matter because I'm not the the primary person you're trying to get to listen mm-hmm. to the show, and the fact that they they do resonate with a younger audience tells you that Spike knows what he's doing uh, as far well, as it's that's also concerned. it's also a smart thing because you're trying to cultivate a listener base that's going to be with you for a long time. And I don't mean this to sound morbid or anything, but like if your target demo is starting to trend out of what the key demo is, at some point your numbers are going to tank because if you can't draw in that new listener base, the whole thing just shrivels up, right? So it is interesting though, because I wonder, I, I haven't met anybody who's had a terrible experience and has left that station, but I think back to like the Andy Bloom time, there were people who left the station at that point and had a negative experience. And I wonder 10 to 15 years from now, when they're hosting a podcast, if they're going to go back and have a reconciliation moment. Like it's interesting to me to hear the fact that you hated someone's existence who was above you and that you were able to reconcile and that there's some kind of peace to that. And it's nice. Look at us getting kind of deep here at the end of the podcast. It's a deep cut for those yeah. who stuck around the entire six hours that we've been doing the show. <laughs> yeah, it was no, nice just, to have. It, I just wanted to share that. I think it, it was, was nice it was to have deserved. some hockey to talk about. And this was a nice thing. I'm yeah. I'm happy with you. Thank you. I'm glad that you opened up, that you showed a human side. And I'm pretty sure that this is your way. This is your way to try to reach out to Nolan Patrick to come on the podcast. So we will uh, we will work on that. At some point, I'm sure yeah. that the the listeners would he's, love you know to when, hear. You know when Nolan Patrick's going to come on the podcast? When right he's after, 36, right, right after Mike Keenan. Mike Keenan is going to be on the show at some point once he realizes that a podcast is a podcast. And with that, thank you for listening to this week's extremely long, jam-packed Snow the Goalie. We are looking forward to, as we said before, expanding coverage. We got the training camp thing. That was one of those announcements that we were looking forward to making a week or two ago. But being down there, providing people with coverage, and and uh, a big thank you to the organization for, especially the PR side, I suppose, for getting us down there and giving us access. We're grateful. 
and we hope to uh, continue to deliver the best coverage of this team in the city. We're well worth your money, right? Right. You get you get more <laughs> you than pay what you for. pay for with this show. <laughs> you pay right? for. Yeah. So, uh, for Anthony, find him on Twitter and Instagram at Anson Philly. I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. The show. I've said it 40 times already. Twitter, Instagram at Snow the Goalie. Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. Interact with us there. Press Row Show is coming back soon. It's a great time to be a Philadelphia Flyers fan. We will talk to you again next week.